Jenkins. Oakley. No. Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön. If you uh, saw that scene in a movie, it would just feel too unrealistic to believe. And yet, that is a reenactment of 1914 during World War I, when the Germans and the Allies, opposing one another, stopped on Christmas Day, came together. You can literally look up photos of this. You, you can see them came together, sang songs, exchanged gifts, played football, 
what we in the colonies call soccer. <laughs> and it's a glimpse of the power of Christmas. It's a glimpse of the power of what Jesus came to do. Because when Jesus came, he came to conquer evil. And we live in an evil, broken world. And it's only the love of Christ and the presence of Christ and the goodness of Christ that can move us to what we need. See, here's what's so interesting about the Christmas story. Um, you know, we reflect on it and we reflect on these silent nights and these holy moments. But when Jesus, ent- he entered a broken world. It was marked by war, it was marked by violence, it was marked by anger. Just look here in Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. This is the context of Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. And in what we find in, in Matthew 2 is we get the context of Herod. So you have these rulers, these these evil dictators, and what Herod is doing is he hears about this king born, and so he sends a mass slaughter of innocent boys under the age of two in this area. This is the backdrop of the Christmas story. There's, there's deep tension between the Hebrew people and the Roman Empire. Let me just give, give a little context, okay? Uh, so one, you have crippling taxation. Uh, at that, in that day and age, the Romans were taxing the Jews at about 70%. Because Caesar would take his cut, right? And then Herod would take his cut. And then the tax collectors, it's almost like, you know, the federal taxes, and then your state taxes, and then Multnomah County wants some too, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, they, everybody's taking a piece of it. And so there's this anger, and it's one of the reasons you see some of the teachings of Jesus. He's talking about money so often. Why? Because it was such a source, a root of anger. He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. It, it, there, there's, uh, there's a brutality in it. Even the fact, why, is there, why are they taking a census, right? Why are Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem? It's for tax purposes. They want to know who is where and so that they can show up and get their money. That's what the Roman Empire wants. Not only do you have crippling taxation, but you have military power and presence. So the Roman soldiers are occupying their community in Israel in Bethlehem, in the area of Nazareth where Jesus is walking. And they would show up and they would, uh, they could do all kinds of things. They could make people carry their gear. You see Jesus' teaching on that. They could abuse them. They would show up in the temple and, and defile their religious ceremonies. I imagine if we had, like we're occupied, right? We, we, we had a foreign government, a foreign military occupy a military presence and they would just show up to church, right? And they'd do what they want. They'd go and they'd, they'd just start snacking on communion. They'd walk on the stage whenever they feel like they just walk around, take over. And you know, you're, you're American, so you're like, that ain't happening here, right? Okay, I'm sorry, they didn't have a second amendment in Israel in the ancient Near East. Okay, so just imagine what that's like. And not only that, now think about how important land is, especially in Israel, this promised land that's sacred. Now because of the taxation and the property taxes and the pulling away of money, they're losing their land. Oh, you can't pay taxes anymore? That's fine. We'll just take your property. And so there's this this deep-seated, deep-rooted anger, and it's run by dominant dictators. Not just Caesar, but Herod. 
ruling over the area as a cruel dictator. Somebody opposes him, he has them killed. He hears rumor about a born child who one day will be king. And he says, no problem, just wipe them all out. Kill all of those children. We have to understand the backdrop to Christmas. The Hebrews were a broken and hopeless people. They are hungry, they are downtrodden, they are discouraged. You sense the despair, the fatalism. Will Caesar always be in power? Will Herod always rule and reign? This is the context in which Jesus enters in. He shows up to an evil, broken world. And here's, I just need you to hear this. Because we've softened this in our lives. Listen to me. Evil exists. Evil exists. It is, it is present around us. It, it is among us. Even a couple, a couple weeks ago, Russell had shared a story about this couple that was traveling the world, and their goal was to show that humanity is good. And they were on the outskirts of an ISIS-occupied territory, and they wanted to prove that that humanity was good. And in their blog, as they're writing, this is, what, this is what they wrote. A guy named Jay Austin wrote this. He says, evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans. And days after this, Jay Austin and his girlfriend were slaughtered by members of ISIS. There's evil in this world. I want you to look at this picture of Helga Goebbels. Cute, adorable little girl in her little dress and her little hat, her curls, her hair. It, you wouldn't know anything about her until you see the context of these pictures. Every one of these pictures is a picture of her with Adolf Hitler. Her father, Joseph Goebbels, was best friends with Adolf Hitler. I mean, just, just take this in for a second. Look at the, look at her curls. Those sweet, innocent face, reaching up her hand in a sign of just trust, holding flowers in her other hand, even her little shoes and her stockings, everything about it. And the day after Adolf Hitler took his life in 1945 in his bunker, Helga and her five siblings were given cyanide by her parents before her parents took their own life as well. Because there is evil in this world. It is a foolish concept for us to think evil doesn't exist. From Adolf Hitler to Osama bin Laden, it's been this crazy thing over the last handful of weeks and months is some of um, Osama bin Laden's letters of why he attacked America and come out. And, and, and we have a generation that didn't grow up with the memories of September 11th. They're literally saying things like, you know, this guy, I think I agree with this guy. There is some evils in America. Yahya Sinwar the leader of Hamas in Gaza, kind of the known mastermind behind the massacre on October 7th, taking all the lives of the innocent people of Israel, the, just the brutal atrocities. 
all the way back, trace through history to the evil men of the time of Jesus, think people like Herod and Caesar who were slaughtering babies. We cannot live in an ignorance that says evil does not exist. You guys, evil exists. This is like a good, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, right? But this is the context. We, we have to understand the context that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came to conquer over evil and darkness of this world. That's why he enters in. So I love the songs and I love the chocolates and the gifts, but that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is a story of a God who enters our brokenness, our darkness, our pain to bring peace, hope, joy, and love. That is the context of Christmas. And we, we miss Jesus when we don't understand what he came to do. See, Jesus, how did he conquer evil? What's incredible is he conquered evil through love. See, the Hebrews, they were waiting on the promised Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the Christ, because they believed when he shows up, we're going to be in power. And he's going to show up and he's going to bring military might and he's going to bring rule and he's going to bring peace. They they viewed him in all these different categories. He was going to be a military leader. He was going to lead the armies of Israel into battle to conquer over the Romans. Or others thought, okay, no, he's like a spiritual leader who's going to reestablish our religious spiritual authority over those around us. Or others still, no, he's going to be a political leader rallying us together and and, and, and forming peace with the Roman Empire. And so much of that stems from even a misreading of our passage today in Isaiah 9. What does it say? He said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so a Jew in the ancient Near East living under Roman oppression, you had this promised Messiah that you're like, okay, finally, we're going to be in charge again. And he's going to show up and he... It says the government's going to be on his shoulders and he's going to, he's going to conquer and he's going to rule and he's going to reign. And what happens is you have a worldly kingdom mindset and you say that's how power works. That's how power is established. He's going to be a victorious warrior, a king, and a ruler. And we can look back and be like, I can't believe they missed Jesus, Right? They missed him because they were looking for something else by a different means. They were looking for a worldly kingdom and a worldly ruler, not a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly ruler. And here's the thing, you guys. Like, we do the same, do we not, right? How, how, how much are you going to hear over these, in these coming days? Like, man, this next election is super important, right? Because if my, if my people get in, it's going to be solved. It didn't work last time. Or... Actually, you know, and it didn't work the time before that. And the time before that, yeah, we thought it was going to, but then, you know, the other people screwed it up. You know, we didn't have the Senate, right? You know, like, yeah. and we play these games, and these are worldly kingdom games. 
And, and what happened is this time, people were looking for a worldly ruler. And that is not what shows up. Jesus didn't show up with blazing chariots and angel armies at his command, ready to fight and defeat the enemy. He came as a humble, suffering servant. He came as a baby. And so rather than images of war and swords, you know what symbols were given in the scriptures? We're given the symbol of a manger, a humble feeding trough, and a cross. Why would God do this? Why wouldn't he show up the way we want him to show up? Because the kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of this world. That's why. And this is what we need. The power of this world is marked by greed and selfishness and violence. But Jesus, he came with a new power marked by grace, sacrifice, peace, love, and humility. And T. Wright puts it like this. He says, the real enemy after all was not Rome, but the powers of evil that stood behind human arrogance and violence. And that is the same story today. Do you, do you realize the same evil of 2,000 years ago, the same evil of 9-11, the same evil of slavery, the same evil of thousands of human history. It's the same evil that we face today. It just takes on a different face and a different name, but it's the accuser behind it all. And this is what N.T. Wright says. He says, the kingdom of God triumphed over the kingdoms of this world by refusing to join in their spiral of violence. On the cross, Jesus would love his enemies, turn the other cheek, and go the second mile. See, we expected a throne of power, and we're given a humble manger. We expected our enemies to be slaughtered by the sword, yet Jesus came and was sacrificed upon a cross. We expected something more powerful than evil. And here's the thing. That's what we got, and we just missed it. We got something more powerful than evil. And in fact, the story had been written for a long, a long ago. All through the Old Testament, it's all pointing to Jesus. And just all throughout, it's snippets of telling how he's going to rule and reign. And showing us what is more powerful than evil, what is more powerful than death. There's even, there's this book in the Old Testament. It was so um, sensual and erotic that oftentimes, as little Jewish boys were studying the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures, they would take this book out. Like, yeah. You know, they're not ready to, they're not ready to read this yet. Uh, we, we, we call it either the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Uh, you know, maybe we, we're so uncomfortable talking about it, we can't decide what we're going to call it, right? And uh, it, it's, a, it's a story of two lovers, right? And so, but what we know is, all of scripture, this is what Jesus tells us, all of scripture is pointing to him. And so we treat it as a marriage book, and it absolutely can be. It gives us beautiful insight, but it's also a deeper metaphor. Because marriage is actually a metaphor of Jesus and his church. Everything points to Jesus. Your relationship with your children. Yes, there are relationship with your children, but it's also how you understand God's love. All of life is pointing to Jesus. And so Song of Solomon absolutely is pointing us to Jesus, and it gives us this this glimpse into how he would come. You just read this with me. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. See, we thought the Messiah was gonna come and he was gonna bring more death. 
He was going to allow us to actually win. He's going to, our side's going to win, their side's going to lose, and he does. He conquers over death, and he conquers over evil, but he doesn't do it how we expect. You know how he conquers over it? He conquers it with love. This is just what's so incredible. How does he vanquish evil and defeat death? It's by loving us through entering our world, loving us enough to die on our behalf. It's written, look at the Christmas story again, Matthew 2. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi or the wise men, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so Herod, he thought through death he could put an end to Christmas. He says, Herod says, I, I know how this world functions. And I have power. You know when I have the power at my fingertips? I have the power of death. And so, oh, there's, there's a Messiah coming, huh? There's a little boy who's going to be thrown. Guess what? I'm going to snuff it out. I have ultimate power. He says, you know what ultimate power is? It's death. And through death, I'm going to put an end to Christmas. Yet, little did he know that through Christmas, Jesus was going to put an end to death. Jesus was going to establish his rule and his reign and his kingdom and his way. There's a conversation that I saved a, a couple years ago. It happened summer of 2020 and on Twitter. And I, and I screenshot it. Like, I'll come across these conversations and I'm like, oh, this is worth, this is worth saving. So it was summer of 2020. Nobody knew what to do with their lives. So we were just asking stupid questions on the internet and uh, hypotheticals. And so, so somebody asked, if you... If you were dropped 2,000 years back in time with nothing but knowledge you have now, what would you do? Most of us, we wouldn't even survive. We're like, I don't know. How do you make fire? Like, I'd go to the grocery store, right? You know? And so this guy, Tim, I'm not going to share his last name and, and, uh, or his uh, Twitter handle. Or, um, I don't know if he's being snarky. I don't know if he's being funny. I, I don't know if he's angry. But he says, easy. I would find and assassinate Jesus of Nazareth. But uh, a gal named Jennifer Greenberg, who she's an author, she's a mom, blogger, had just the greatest response ever. Here's what she says. Here's the thing, Tim. They tried that already. He didn't stay dead. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Hashtag lady boss. <laughs> and then she just gives the snar world snarkiest like shrug emoji. He didn't stay dead. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, evil thought it could kill a baby. 2,000 years ago, evil thought its victory was in its grasp when Jesus was upon the cross. It thought it could put an end to love. It thought it could put an end to Christmas. It thought it could put an end to Easter. All of these things through death. What Jesus was establishing on that cross was his ultimate victory through sacrificial love. Amen? That was the greatest moment in human history. And in that moment, Jesus rewrites the rules of everything. You know what he says? The love of Jesus wins. 
It's the love of God that conquers over evil. It's the love of God that conquers over brokenness. It's the love of God that conquers over death. That is what is written down in our hearts. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again. Jesus establishes a new rule of power. It's his kingdom. And what does his kingdom say? It's his love that wins. It's his sacrifice. It's his humility. It's his grace. It's his peace. It's his joy. The world's rules, the world's kingdom is not in power anymore. And there is a new power and it is the love of Christ. And this is what we have to walk in, you guys. See, I grew up a uh, 90s Baptist church youth group kid. So we knew what real evil was, even more evil than secular music and dancing, right? (laughs) Um, We knew real evil was Harry Potter. Yes. (laughs) Uh, There's some trauma being stirred up right now. We will pray with you after the service. We must burn these books and we got to boycott these movies. And, uh, and then in my early 20s, I was like 22, 23, I, I went through a rebellious phase and uh, actually accidentally started watching the movies. Um, I was hanging out with some friends and they're like, we're gonna watch these movies. And I was like, okay, right? Watch the first couple and I'm like, these are not good. Why was this a cultural phenomenon? And they're like, well, we're gonna watch all of them because you know, the sixth movie's coming out and we're all gonna go see it together. I'm like, I'll hang. Like, so we're watching. And, and then they kind of get better, and right? And so then this is, um, this is at a time when new movies came out on Friday. And so when they come out on Friday, they meant Friday. So it was like midnight, yeah. right? And then, you know, eventually, like, I said, I'm like a crotchy old man yelling at the sky now, you know. Then there's Thursday, now Wednesday. Pretty soon we're just going to get back to Friday. It, it'll be a whole thing, right? And so we go up, and it's midnight, and, I'm, and they're going to be in Vancouver. So I, I go up to Vancouver to go to this, this premiere of Harry Potter number six. And I didn't, I was not prepared. Like, my muggle heart did not know what I was walking into in that moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was like, oh, people are into this, right? They're like dressed as house elves and wizards and dragons. And like, they were just so excited. And so we watched the movie and get done. And I was like, that was actually good. Like, I, I kind of like that one. Like, when does the, when's the next one? Let's go watch the next one. And they're like, oh no, we've been waiting like lifetimes for these to come out. The next one's not coming out for a couple more years. And then it's going to be two parts for the seventh book. And it's going to be a couple. I'm like, I, I want to know how it ends. They're like, well, here's the thing, there's a book, you know, right? And so I kid you not, I started with book seven. I was like, I gotta know how it ends, right? I read book seven, I was like, that was pretty good. And I started over at one and I read the whole thing all through, one through seven again. And here's something that happened to me. Here's what, here's what, I, what I realized. J.K. Rowling, she says something that is just absolutely brilliant. She says, listen, if you read the Bible if you've read the story of the gospel, you know how the book ends. And I'm reading this book, and I'm just moved. You, you realize the whole reason? Chapter, chapter one, book one, is called The Boy Who Lives. You know why the boy lives? Because his mom sacrifices her life. And the only thing more powerful than the evil of the world was the blood of sacrifice, the love of a mother for her son, and that's what protects him. That's why he lives. You get to the end, so I'm gonna spoil it for you, but you've had time, okay? 
I'm reading the end. And what the very end is Harry laying down his life for his friends. Laying his life aside in order to defeat evil. And I'm reading this. I'm like, Harry Potter's the greatest Christian fiction ever written. This is incredible, right? right? Like, and what happens is, what I need you to understand, is love conquering death is written into the fabric of our world. It, it's the gospel. And, and once you know that, you see it everywhere. You see it in all creation. You see, this is why stories move us. And you don't just see it you realize that we're called to live it. We are not called to conquer over evil by becoming evil ourselves. The church, we exist to spread the king's kingdom, to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey the what? The way of Jesus, all that he's commanded, the way he lives. This is a dark, evil world. It is broken. I made the mistake this week of reading the news And, and the tragedy is I've almost become numb to it. But here's what else I know. This room is filled with pain. Some of you are dreading Christmas. Some of you are dreading dinners with family because of all the wounds that it brings up. The tension and the turmoil and the heartache. Because how do we, we make war against the darkness of this world? It's by following the way of our Lord. It's by following the way of Jesus. Nietzsche said this brilliant thing. He says, he who fights with monsters must be careful not to become one. And I worry that so many of us who are followers of Jesus, out of our righteous anger, are becoming monsters. We are becoming like the evil we righteously oppose because we're fighting it and opposing and battling through the way of the world rather than the way of Jesus. And John, in 3 John wrote, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God and whoever does evil has not seen God. So can I just put a kingdom call on your life this Christmas. Increase his kingdom. Live the way of Jesus. Listen, I get it. That is a lot of pain, and that is a lot of hurt, and there is a, that is a lot of heartache, and you're sitting here, and you're like, you, no, you don't understand. You don't know my story, and I don't, and I'm not going to be so ignorant to stand up here and say that I do, but there is one who does, and he has fought the battles that you've, you're fighting. He has suffered in the way that you're suffering. And he said there's a different way to win. And says the way to win is through humble sacrifice. The way to win is to serve. The way to win is to love your enemies because the love of Jesus is what wins in the end, amen? And so let me just encourage you in a couple ways. One, man, would you reconcile with those you are disconnected from? No, but it's justified and I don't want them to win. Then evil's winning in your heart and you're becoming the monster you're trying to fight. Some of you are dreading the broken relationships and the pain that you're experiencing. Man, would you lead the way and humbly lay your life down like Christ did and lead the way of love? 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. so brilliantly said, when evil men plot, good men must plan. When evil men burn and bomb, good men must build and bind. When evil men shout ugly words of hatred, good men must commit themselves to the glories of love. Do you think this brother in Christ had some things to say about suffering and pain and hardship? I think we can learn from him and what it means to respond in the way of Jesus, the glories of love. And so would you take this call of Christmas to say, yeah, evil exists, and there is injustice and hurt and pain, but my call is to reconcile with those that I am disconnected from. Two, and if I just shared this without all the context, this would sound really fluffy and like meaningless, but like when you understand all that I just said and you bring it in, it has a different depth of meaning that you show kindness to those who are in need. You realize when you show kindness, you are making war against evil. You are making war against darkness. What if you cared for those who are cold and hungry, those who are hurting and in need? Uh, on, on Monday, so last week we shared about the boxes of love. We're taking these ornaments and they had items on it that, that we're buying for these kids in foster care so that we can provide what they need. And, and I came in on Monday and there was like a stack of them. And I walked to Kristen and I was like, what the heck? Like, why is there a stack of these left over? Like, our church is always so generous when we do this stuff. Like, like what happened, right? And she's like, calm down. <laughs> she said, there's a stack left over because we had to keep reprinting more because they were gone after every service. And I, and I heard that and I was like, that's making war against the evil of this world is by you showing generosity and kindness to those who are in need. I, my kids were making their Christmas lists and my daughter Nova made hers and put it on the counter. I took and I grabbed it. I, and I took a picture of it. It's hard for you to see from where you're at, but it says Christmas list. Two things, give Celia money, many backpacks. Very simple this year. Mini backpacks are just miniature backpacks apparently. She hangs them on her little backpack and they're cute and adorable. But Celia is a little girl who lives in Uganda. And my kids treat her like a member of our family. We've supported her a number of years through Compassion International. And my kids write her letters and draw her pictures. And as my daughter sits to write what she wants for Christmas this year, her first thought is what can we do for Celia? Because this little eight-year-old girl knows what it means to make war against the evil of this world, amen? This is the call. And so when you buy a gift for a foster child, you're making war against the evil of this world. Next week, as you serve, and as family after family who's disconnected from this church, and as you serve on Christmas Eve. Listen, I get it, you have plans. There's things coming up, things you don't wanna do. You don't wanna be back serving in kids. You don't wanna be making coffee. But when you're serving those children, you're making war against the evil of this world by following the way of Jesus who washed feet. When you're making coffee, when you're holding doors, we are being the church by bringing the kingdom. 
When you see that person lying on the street, rather than thinking, man, would they just get their life together? Would you walk in that store? Would you buy them a pair of socks and a hot hot cup of coffee and give it to them and walk away? Would you show kindness? Would you invite someone who is lonely and disconnected over for Christmas dinner? Yeah, it changes your plans. And yeah, some of the conversation's gonna feel awkward but you are living the way of the kingdom. You guys, we are representatives of the king's victory over evil. We are making war the same way he did through sacrificial, gracious love. That is the call of the church. But here's what I need you to hear, and this is what's so incredible. Because you can start to hear these things and like, okay, that's cute, that's fluffy, we're gonna love. Jesus came in love, and that's great. Here's here's why it matters. Because the king is coming back. He's coming back. And he's coming to rule and reign. Billy Graham, greatest preacher of our generation, when kind of the height of his preaching prowess, he would have these giant crusades and he was invited. He had conversation with every president. He was on every talk show. Everybody wanted to know what Billy Graham thought about different things. And he, he was so gracious on these talk shows. They would ask him about, you know, questions about, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. And he had this way of just ter- making, he was so likable. And he would make a joke and laugh and he would stay true to the scripture, but he was just, he was just endearing and smiling. And, and he was having this conversation with Johnny Carson. And Johnny Carson was trying to make light and he, and he looks at Billy Graham and he says, you know, Billy, if Jesus came back again, I think we'd do him in all over again. And Billy Graham goes from laughing to he wipes the smile off his face and he leans forward. And he says, Johnny, the Bible tells us he's coming back again. And the first time, he came in love. But the second time, he's coming in power. And no one will do him in. This is the beauty. The first time, he came humbly and in poverty. But the second time, he's coming in his divine glory. And all will bow down. The first time he came to save the world, but the second time he's coming to rule the world and to establish his righteous reign of love and peace. The government will be on his shoulders and he will rule and reign forevermore. The just, holy, righteous, compassionate, sympathetic, rescuing ruler of the world, that's who's coming back. And we get a glimpse of it in Revelation 19. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. That means his name will never be defiled. His name has never been uttered by sinful lips. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, you are coming back to establish your rule and reign. That for all of eternity, love conquers evil. For all of eternity, love wins over death. It will be your peace 
your glory, your goodness. And so, Lord, in the meantime, as your church, as we wait upon that return, would we be bearers of your kingdom? Would we not become monsters ourselves, but rather would we fight the evil of this world the way you fought it? Through love, through humility, through grace. Would, would your church just be a beacon of your light to where people step back and say, there is something so different about those people. I want to know their king. And would it be all for your glory? And all God's people said,